Section twenty nine of the Natural History, Volume four. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne. The Natural History, Volume four, by Pliny the Elder, translated by John Bostock and Henry Thomas Riley. Section twenty nine. Chapter twenty two the natural history of twenty different kinds of plants which grow in gardens, the proper methods to be followed in sowing them respectively. Of some plants the fruits are in the earth, of others both in the earth and out of it, and of others again out of the earth solely. Some of them increase as they lie upon the ground, gourds and cucumbers, for instance. The same products will grow also in a hanging position, but they are much heavier even then, than any of the fruits that grow upon trees. The cucumber, however, is composed of cartilage and a fleshy substance, while the gourd consists of rind and cartilage. This last is the only vegetable production, the outer coat of which becomes of a ligneous nature when ripe. Radishes, turnips, and rape are hidden in the earth, and so too are elecampania, scurrets, and parsnips, though in a different manner. There are some plants, again, to which we shall give the name of Ferrolocheus, anise and mallows, for instance. Indeed, we find it stated by some writers that in Arabia the mallow becomes arborescent at the sixth month, so much so, in fact, as to admit of its being used for walking sticks. We have another instance, again, in the mallow tree of Mauritania, which is found at Lixus, a city built upon an estuary there and at which spot it is said were formerly the gardens of hesperides at a distance of two hundred paces from the ocean near the shrine of hercules more ancient tradition says than the temple at gades this mallow tree is twenty feet in height and of such a thickness that there is not a person in existence who is able with his arms to span its girth in the class of ferulaceous plants we must include hemp also there are some plants, again, to which we must give the appellation of fleshy, such as those spongy productions which are found growing in damp meadows. As to the fungus, with a hard, tongue flesh, we have already made mention of it when speaking of wood and trees, and of truffles, which, form another variety, we have but very recently given a description. CHAPTER Twenty Three, VEGETABLES OF A CARTILAGINEOUS NATURE CUCUMBERS, PIPONES the cucumber belongs to the cartilaginous class of plants, and grows above the ground. It was a wonderful favorite with the emperor Tiberius, and, indeed, he was never without it, for he had raised beds made in frames upon wheels, by means of which the cucumbers were moved and exposed to the full heat of the sun, while, in winter, they were withdrawn and placed under the protection of frames glazed with mirror-stone. We find it stated, also, by the ancient Greek writers, that the cucumber ought to be propagated from seed that has been steeped a couple days in milk and honey, this method having the effect of rendering them all the sweeter to the taste. The cucumber, while growing, may be trained to take any form that may be wished. In Italy, cucumbers are green and very small, while those grown in some of the provinces are remarkably large, and of a wax color or black. Those of Africa, which are also remarkably prolific, are held in high esteem, the same, too, with the cucumbers of Musia, which are by far the largest of all. When the cucumber acquires a very considerable volume, it is known to us as the pipo. 
Cucumbers, when eaten, remain in the stomach till the following day, and are very difficult of digestion. Still, for all that, in general they are not considered very unwholesome. By nature they have a wonderful hatred to oil, and no less affection for water, and this after they have been cut from the stem even. If water is within a moderate distance of them, they will creep towards it, while from oil, on the other hand, they will shrink away. If any obstacle, too, should happen to arrest their progress, or if they are left to hang, they will grow curved and crooked. Of these facts we may be satisfactorily convinced in a single night even, for if a vessel filled with water is placed at four fingers' distance from a cucumber, it will be found to have descended to it by the following morning. But if the same is done with oil, it will have assumed the curved form of a hook by the next day. If hung in a tube while in blossom, the cucumber will grow to a most surprising length, it is only of late, too, that a cucumber of entirely new shape has been produced in Campania, it having just the form of a quince. It was quite by accident, I am told, that the first one acquired this shape in growing, and it was from the seed of this that all the others have been reproduced. The name given to this variety is Milopipo. These last do not grow hanging, but assume their round shape as they lie on the ground. A thing that is very remarkable in them, in addition to their shape, color, and smell, is the fact that when ripe, although they do not hang from the stem, they separate from it at the stalk. Kulumela has given us a plan of his, by which we may have cucumbers the whole year round. The largest bramble bush that can be procured is transported to a warm, sunny spot, and then cut down about the time of the vernal equinox, to within a couple of fingers from the ground. A cucumber seed is then inserted in the pith of the bramble, and the roots are well moulded up with fine earth and manure, to withstand the cold. According to the Greeks there are three kinds of cucumbers, the Laconian, the Satalic, and the Boetian, the Laconian being the only one among them that is fond of the water. There are some persons who recommend steeping the seed of the cucumber in the juice of the herb known as the culex. The produce, they say, will be sure to grow without seeds. Chapter 24. Gourds. Gourds resemble the cucumber in nature, at least in their manner of growing. They manifest an equal aversion to the winter, too, while they require constant watering and manure. Both cucumbers and gourds are sown in holes a foot and a half deep between the vernal equinox and the summer solstice, at the time of the perilla more particularly. Some persons, however, think it better to sow gourds after the calends of March, and cucumbers after the nones, and at the time of the quinquateria. The cucumber and the gourd climb upwards in precisely similar manner, their shoots creeping along the rough surface of the walls, even to the very roof, so great is their fondness for elevated spots. They have not sufficient strength, however, to support themselves without the aid of stays. Shooting upwards with the greatest rapidity, they soon cover with their light shade the arched roofs of the houses and the trellises on which they are trained. From this circumstance it is that we find the gourd classified into two primary kinds, the roof gourd and the common gourd, which creeps upon the ground. In the first kind, from a stalk of remarkable thinness is suspended a fruit of considerable weight and volume, and quite immovable by the action of the wind. The gourd, too, as well as the cucumber, admits of being lengthened to any extent by the aid of an osier tube, more particularly. Just after the blossom has fallen off, the plant is introduced into these tubes, and as it grows it can be made to assume any form that may be wished, 
that of a serpent coiled up being the one that is mostly preferred if left at liberty to grow as it hangs it has been known before now to attain to no less than nine feet in length the cucumber flowers gradually blossom succeeding blossom and adapts itself perfectly well to dry soil it is covered with a white down which increases in quantity as the plant gains in size the gourd admits of being applied to more numerous uses than the cucumber even the stem is used as an article of food when young but at a later period it changes its nature and its qualities become totally different of late gourds have come to be used in baths for jugs and pitchers but for this long time past they have been employed as casks for keeping wine the rind is tender when the fruit is green but still it is always scraped off when the gourd is used for food it admits of being eaten several ways and forms a light and wholesome ailment and this although it is one of the fruits that are difficult of digestion by the human stomach and are apt to swell out those who eat of them the seeds which lie nearest to the neck of the gourd produce fruit of remarkable length and so do those which lie at the lower extremities though not at all comparable with the others those on the other hand which lie in the middle produce gourds of a round shape and those on the sides fruit that are thick and short the seeds are dried by being placed in the shade and when wanted for sowing they are steeped in water first the longer and thinner the gourd is the more agreeable it is to the palate and hence it is that those which have been left to grow hanging are reckoned the most wholesome these too have fewer seeds than the others the hardness of which is apt to render the fruit less agreeable for eating those which are intended for keeping seed are usually not cut before the winter sets in and they are then dried in the smoke and are extensively employed for preserving garden seeds and for making other articles of domestic use there has been a method discovered also of preserving the gourd for table and the cucumber as well till nearly the time when next year's crop is ripe this is done by putting them in brine we are assured too that if put in a hole dug in a place well shaded from the sun with a layer of sand beneath and dry hay and earth upon the top of them they may be kept green for a very long time we also find wild cucumbers and gourds and indeed the same is the case with pretty nearly all the garden plants these wild varieties however are only possessed of certain medicinal properties and for this reason we shall defer any further mention of them until we come to the books appropriated to that subject chapter twenty five rape turnips the other plants that are of a cartilaginous nature are concealed all of them in the earth in the number of these is the rape a subject upon which it would almost appear that we have treated at sufficient length already were it not that we think it well to observe that medical men call those which are round male while those which are larger and more elongated are known to them as female rape these last are superior in sweetness and better for keeping but by successive sowings they are changed into male rape the same authors too have distinguished five different varieties of the turnip the corinthian the colonian the leothasian the boetian and the one which they have characterized as peculiarly the green turnip the corinthian turnip grows to a very large size and the root is all but out of the ground indeed this is the only kind that in growing shoots upwards and not as the others do downwards into the ground the liothasian is known by some persons as the thracian turnip it is the one that stands extreme cold the best of all next to it the boetian kind is the sweetest 
it's remarkable also for the roundness of its shape and its shortness while the cleonian turnip on the other hand is of an elongated form those in general which have a thin smooth leaf are the sweetest while those again the leaf of which is rough angular and prickly have a pungent taste there is a kind of wild turnip also the leaves of which resemble those of rocket at rome the highest rank is given to the turnips of armaturnum and those of nursia after them those grown in the neighborhood of the city are held in next degree of esteem the other particulars connected with the sowing of the turnip have already been mentioned by us when speaking of the rape chapter twenty six radishes radishes are composed of an outer coat and a cartilaginous substance and in many instances the rind is found to be thicker than the bark of some trees this plant is remarkable for its pungency which increases in proportion to the thickness of the rind in some cases too the surface of it assumes a ligneous nature radishes are flatulent to a remarkable degree and are productive of eructations hence it is that they are looked upon as an ailment only fit for low-bred people and this more particularly if coal warts are eaten directly after them if on the other hand they are eaten with green olives the eructations produced are not so frequent and less offensive in egypt the radish is held in very high esteem on account of the abundance of oil that is extracted from the seed indeed the people of that country sow this plant in preference to any other whenever they can get the opportunity the profits derived from it being larger than those obtained from the cultivation of corn and the imposts levied upon it considerably less there is no grain known that yields a larger quantity of oil the greeks have distinguished the radish into three different kinds according to the characteristic features of the leaves there being the crisped leaf the smooth leaf and the wild radish the leaf of which is smooth but shorter than that of the others it is round also grows in great abundance and spreads like a shrub the taste of this last variety is acrid and it acts medicinally as a strong purgative in the first kind again there are certain differences determined by the seed for in some varieties the seed is of an inferior quality and in others remarkably small these defects however are only found to exist in the kind that has the crisped leaf our own people again have found other varieties of the radish there is the algidon radish long and transparent so called from the place of its growth another similar to rape in form is known as the syrian radish it is pretty nearly the mildest and most tender of them all and is well able to bear the winter the best of all however is the one that has been brought from syria very recently it would seem as we do not find it mentioned by any of our writers in less the whole of the winter through in addition to these kinds there is another a wild variety known by the greeks as agrion and to the people of pontus as armon while others again call it leus and our people armoracea it has more leaves however than root in testing the quality of the radish it is the stem more particularly that is looked at and in those which are acrid to the taste for instance it is rounder and thicker than in the others and grooved with long channels while the leaves are more unsightly to the eye being angular and covered with prickles the radish requires to be sown in a loose humid soil has a great aversion to manure and is content with a dressing solely of chaff 
so fond is it of the cold that in germany it is known to grow as large as an infant in size for the spring crop it is sown immediately after the ides of february and then again about the time of the volcanalia this last crop being looked upon as the best many persons however sow radishes in march april and september when the plant begins to grow to any size it is considered a good plan to cover up the leaves successively and to earth up the root as well for the part of it which appears above ground is apt to become hard and pithy aristomachus recommends that the leaves be taken off in winter and the roots to be well moulded up to prevent the water from accumulating about them and he says that by using these precautions they will be all the finer in the summer some authors have mentioned a plan of making a hole with a dibble and covering it at the bottom with a layer of chaff six fingers in depth upon this layer the seed is put and then covered over with manure and earth the result of which is according to their statement that radishes are obtained full as large as the hole so made it is salt however that conduces more particularly to their nutriment and hence it is that they are often watered with brine in egypt too the growers sprinkle nitre over them the roots being remarkable for their mildness the salt too has a similar effect of removing all the pungency and when thus treated they become very similar in their qualities to radishes that have been boiled for when boiled they become sweet and mild and eat in fact just like turnips medical men recommend raw radishes to be eaten fasting with salt for the purpose of collecting the crude humours of the viscera and in this way they prepare them for the action of emetics it is said too that the juices of this plant are absolutely necessary for the cure of certain diseases of the diaphragm for it has been found by experiment in egypt that the phthiriasis which attaches itself to the internal parts of the heart cannot possibly be eradicated by any other remedy the kings of that country having ordered the bodies of the dead to be opened and examined for the purpose of inquiring into certain diseases such too is the frivolity of the greeks that in the temple of apollo at delphi it is said the radish is so greatly preferred to all other articles of diet as to be represented there in gold the beet in silver and the rape in lead you might be very sure that manius corius was not a native of that country the general whom as we find stated in our annals the ambassadors of the samnites found busy roasting rape at the fire when they came to offer him the gold which he so indignantly refused muschoyan too a greek author has written a volume on the subject of the radish these vegetables are considered a very useful article of food during the winter but they are at all times very injurious to the teeth as they are apt to wear them away at all events they give a polish to ivory there is a great antipathy between the radish and the vine which last will shrink from the radish if sown in its vicinity chapter twenty seven parsnips the other kinds which have been classified by us among the cartilaginous plants are of a more ligneous nature and it is a singular thing that they have all of them a strong flavour among these there is one kind of wild parsnip which grows spontaneously by the greeks it is known as staphylonis another kind of parsnip is grown either from the root transplanted or else from seed at the beginning of the spring or in the autumn hyginius says that this may be done in february august september and october the ground being dug to a very considerable depth for the purpose the parsnip begins to be fit for eating at the end of the year 
but it is still better at the end of two it is reckoned more agreeable eating in the autumn and more particularly if cooked in the saucepan even then however it preserves its strong pungent flavour which it is found quite impossible to get rid of the hibiscum differs from the parsnip in being more slender it is rejected as a food but is found useful for its medicinal properties there is a fourth kind also which bears a similar degree of resemblance to the parsnip by our people it is called the galicia while the greeks who have distinguished four varieties of it give it the common name of daucus we shall have further occasion to mention it among the medicinal plants chapter twenty eight the skirret the skirret too has had its reputation established by the emperor tiberius who demanded a supply of it every year from germany it is at gelduba a fortress situate on the banks of the rhenus that the finest are grown from which it would appear that they thrive best in a cold climate there is a string running through the whole length of the skirret and which is drawn out after it is boiled but still for all this a considerable proportion of its natural pungency is retained indeed when modified by the addition of a honeyed wine this is even thought to impart to dishes an additional relish the larger parsnip has also a similar string inside but only when it is a year old the proper time for sowing the skirret is in the months of february march april august september and october chapter twenty nine el campagna el campagna is not so elongated as the preceding roots but more substantial and more pungent eaten by itself it is very injurious to the stomach but when mixed with other condiments of a sweet nature it is extremely wholesome there are several methods employed for modifying its natural acridity and rendering it agreeable to the palate thus for instance when dried it is reduced to a fine flour and then mixed with some sweet liquid or other or else it is boiled in vinegar and water or kept to soak in it it is also steeped in various other ways and then mixed with boiled grape juice or else incorporated with honey or raisins or dates with plenty of meat on them other persons again have a method of preparing it with quinces or else sorbs or plums while sometimes the flavor is varied by the addition of pepper or thyme this plant is particularly good for weakness of the stomach and it has acquired a high reputation from the circumstance that julia augusta used to eat it daily the seed of it is quite useless as the plant is reproduced like the reed from eyes extracted from the root this vegetable as well as the skirret and the parsnip is sown both in spring and autumn a considerable distance being left between the plants indeed for el campagne a space of no less than three feet is required as it throws out its shoots to a very considerable distance skirts however are best transplanted chapter thirty bulbs squills and arum next in affinity to these plants are the bulbs which cato speaking in high terms of those of magara recommends most particularly for cultivation among these bulbs the squill we find occupies the very highest rank although by nature it is medicinal and is employed for imparting an additional sharpness to vinegar indeed there is no bulb known that grows to a larger size than this or is possessed of a greater degree of pungency there are two varieties of it employed in medicine the male squill which has white leaves and the female squill with black ones there is a third kind also which is good to eat and is known as the epimenidium squill the leaf is narrower than in the other kinds and not so rough 
all the schools have numerous seeds but they come up much more quickly if propagated from the offsets that grow on the sides to make them attain a still greater size the largest leaves that grow around them are turned down and covered over with earth by which method all the juices are carried to the heads squills grow spontaneously and in vast numbers in the Beleris and the island of ebusus and in the spanish provinces the philosopher pythagoras has written a whole volume on the merit of this plant setting forth its various medicinal properties of which we shall have occasion to speak more at length in the succeeding book the other species of bulbs are distinguished by their color size and sweetness indeed there are some that are eaten raw even those found in the tauric chersonesis for instance next to these the bulbs of africa are held in the highest esteem and after them those of apulia the greeks have distinguished the following varieties the bulbine the satanian the opitian the syx the leucoion the agilips and the cisrician in the last there is this remarkable feature that the extremities of the roots increase in winter but during the spring when the violet appears they diminish in size and gradually contract and then it is the bulb that begins to increase in magnitude among the varieties of the bulb too there is the plant known in egypt by the name of aaron in size it is very nearly as large as the squill with a leaf like that of the lapathum and a straight stalk a couple of cubits in length and the thickness of a walking stick the root of it is of a milder nature so much so indeed as to admit of being eaten raw bulbs are taken up before the spring for if not they are apt to spoil very quickly it is a sign that they are ripe when the leaves become dry at the lower extremities when too old they are held in disesteem the same too with the long and the smaller ones those on the other hand which are red and round are greatly preferred as also those of the largest size in most of them there is a certain degree of pungency in the upper part but the middle is sweet the ancients have stated that bulbs are reproduced from seed only but in the champagne country of Prenesti, they grow spontaneously and they grow to an unlimited extent in the territory of the remi chapter thirty one the roots flowers and leaves of all these plants garden plants which lose their leaves nearly all the garden plants have a single root only radishes beet parsley and mallows for example it is lapatheum however that has the longest root of them all it attaining to the length of three cubits even the root of the wild kind is smaller and of a humid nature and when up it will keep alive for a considerable period in some of these plants however the roots are fibrous as we find in the case of parsley and mallows for instance in others again they are of a ligneous nature as in ochimum for example and in others they are fleshy as in beet and in saffron even more so in some again the root is composed of rind and flesh as in the radish and the rape while in others it is jointed as in the hay-grass those plants which have not a straight root throw out immediately a great number of hairy fibres orage and blight for instance squills again bulbs onions and garlic never have any but a vertical root among the plants that grow spontaneously there are some which have more numerous roots than leaves spalix for example pellitory and saffron wild thyme southernwood turnips radishes mint and rue blossom all once 
while others, again, shed their blossoms directly they had begun to flower. Okimum blossoms gradually, beginning at the lower parts, and hence it is that it is so very long in blossom. The same is the case, too, with a plant known as heliotropium. In some plants the flower is white, in others yellow, and in others purple. The leaves fall first from the upper part in the wild marjoram and elecampagne, and in rue sometimes, when it has been injured accidentally. In some plants the leaves are hollow, the onion and the scallion more particularly. End of section 29